Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us in San Jose's gorgeous California theater for tonight's live presentation of the talk show. At this time, won't you please take a moment to silence your cell phones and other electronic devices. And then, won't you please welcome to the stage my friend and yours, John Gruber. Hello and welcome to the talk show live from WWDC 2017. Uh, have a good show, I think. <laughs> we have a beautiful theater, I know. Uh, so, something to get out of the way up front, this show would not have possibly happened without our sponsors. We have three perfect sponsors for this show. Our first sponsor is Jamf. J-A-M-F. Jamf specializes in Apple device management. If you have mobile devices and a small company, and you need them, the MDM management type stuff, go to them, they support Apple stuff, they're Apple only. They support Apple stuff before it's out, they're already probably working on the betas for iOS 11, it's absolutely great. Go to jamf.com slash talkshow and you will find out more. Our second sponsor, another great sponsor, perfect for this audience, is Mac Stadium. It is time to get your build server out of your office closet or out from under your desk and put it in the hands of some professionals. Get a real build server. You can't just go and get like some no-name Linux server and have Xcode running on it. You need a Mac. Go to them. Mac Stadium knows how to professionally host Mac OS X server in a great co-location environment. Uh, all of their cloud accounts start with a 30-day free trial that is production ready. So when your 30-day free trial is over and you're like, I want to pay, I want to go with this, you just roll right over and you're already, you're already got it. Visit maxstadium.com slash DF for more information. <laughs> you guys dying? You guys probably want to know who's the guest. <laughs> Should I just tell you that and then I'll do the other sponsor? Uh, our third sponsor, great sponsor. Are there any indie developers here in the audience? Uh, our third sponsor is SetApp. SetApp, if you haven't heard about it, is a new subscription service for indie Mac apps. You pay $9.99 a month as a user, and you get access. They have over 70 apps in the service. Uh, it, think of it as like Netflix for apps. It is. A quite a deal, and they've got a ton of great apps in there. It's brought to you by Mac Paw, a longtime independent Mac developer, uh, the makers of Clean My Mac and Gemini and a bunch of other stuff. So they know the indie Mac market. They are tried and true indie Mac developers. It's a great service. Uh, if you're a user, which is probably more people than developers, go there and check it out. And if you're a developer, certainly go there and look at it and see if it makes sense for your app to be part of their service. Uh, 
go to setapp.com and you can find out more. Uh, and last but not least, one of the great traditions of, of this show is I think every single time I've done it, I don't know, I lost count, I think it's like the sixth one, maybe seventh, but I think every single time uh, we've had an open bar and that open bar has been sponsored by the same company, the great people at MailChimp. So if you've enjoyed a few beverages before the show, you can thank MailChimp for that, and I thank them. It's a great company. If you have email marketing needs, go check out MailChimp. It's, it's terrific. Uh, and I thank them for sponsoring the open bar here, because I, I certainly wasn't going to pick up the bill. <laughs> I know how some of you drink. Uh, I don't know what that was. Uh, we'll get past it. Uh, so yesterday when I was at the, the last, there's one last people I wanna, group of people I want to thank, and that's you, all of you, those of you in this room, those of you listening at home. Um, yesterday during the press event, there's all sorts of stuff backstage, and there's briefings, and you have schedules, and there's the people in the press, you have to you sit around all day. While you guys are in the State of the Union, people like me are sitting around talking. And I got to talk uh, with Walt Mossberg. Uh, And, well, yeah, it was a great talk. It always is. I, it, he's, and he's exactly what you think he's like in person. He's full of, uh, you know, very strong opinions. Um, <laughs> but he was talking about what we do, and I was telling him how, I, I, you know, what I loved about him is that he was a columnist, and that to me there was something in my head about the style of writing that's writing a column, and that's what I always wanted to do at Daring Fireball. And he was very complimentary. and said, yeah, I can see that. I think you do a great job. Um, but then he said, you know what I've really enjoyed these last few years is I've re he said, I've really enjoyed podcasting. And I said, you know, I have too. But for, you know, from when I was a senior in high school until I actually got Daring Fireball as a job off the ground, I thought I want to be a columnist. I want to be a writer and I want to write like a, something like this. And I never in a million years thought that I would be like a broadcaster as something that I should like put on my tax return. Uh, but I am. There's no question that the podcast is half my job. And I enjoy it, and it's totally unexpected. Uh, and for some reason, I, I love everybody who reads Daring Fireball. Uh, if you read it and you don't really listen to the show, that's fine. Um, but for some reason, I feel like I have more of a connection with the people who listen to the show, like bumping into people on the sidewalk here in San Jose. And if you do see me anytime this week, please say hello. Um, but the people who say, I love your show, seem more connected personally than the people who say, I love Daring Fireball. I love both of them, and it's all complimentary, but uh, I just thank all of you for being here. I really cannot believe that I'm here uh, in this theater for this show. I also feel like maybe listeners of the show have more of a sense of my actual personality. Like maybe my writing kind of conceals it and it's a little bit more formal. Uh, but if you do know me at all, you know that I, uh, when I find something I like, I like to keep going with it. Uh, and so if you liked last year's show, I think you'll like... <laughs> I think you're going to like this year's show, too. Uh, let me introduce Phil Schiller 
and Craig Federighi. So, Craig, did you think my intro went on too long? Is that why you ran? Like, <laughs> it's a habit. All right, big secret thing here. So, whenever we do keynotes, Craig always bolts on stage. He's full of energy and he runs out there. And it's really impressive, right? Because he just, it just kicks things off, just like that. And the rest of us, you know, don't. And, <laughs> and, and rehearsing for this keynote, um, someone who remained nameless said, it's so great when Craig does that. You should all run on stage. <laughs> and I said, no, because I'll trip and fall and be an idiot, and, and then I'll regret it. So it's his thing, and it's a great thing, and it's impressive. So. Wow, thank you, Phil. Thank you. All right. I don't know about you guys, I thought yesterday's keynote was longer than most podcasts. <laughs> right about the same. But we covered more stuff. <laughs> you covered a lot of stuff, which is going to make tonight very difficult. Yeah. Uh, it also seemed as though there, was, there could have been more. Like, like, what was like the first draft of the keynote? Three and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> Truth. It's true. So we had to cut. We are, you know, in, in a perfect world, we would have liked to get to two hours. It's a, it's a, it's a goal that we think it's kind of hard to hold your bladder for some people longer than two hours. Um, but that's as close as we got. We got, you know, we got close, but not there. And we cut a lot. And, and we kind of ran out of, there's just stuff. We, we just don't want to cut any of this stuff. We love it. Uh, I thought, it, it, running through stuff from the keynote, I want to talk about the Mac first. Uh, because not just that yesterday was a very strong day for the Mac on software, on laptop hardware, on desktop hardware, but the, in the recent months with, you know, discussions we've had in your announcements about the Mac Pro, uh, I feel like the Mac, not that it's in a different place, but it's certainly in a a different place perception-wise now than a year ago. I thought, here's one thing, I would just throw this off the bat, I thought that the Mac stuff alone yesterday would have made a pretty good Macworld Expo keynote back in the day. Um, we used to find a way to stretch things out. <laughs> I don't know about Macworld, but at least an Apple Expo Paris or Japan. Right. Or <laughs> So starting with macOS, so when you, Craig, when you introduced uh, macOS High Sierra. Uh-huh. Uh, Where are you going with this? I, I was seated in the press area with friend of the show, sometimes guest of the show, Serenity Caldwell was right next to me. And you were 30 seconds into it after the name, and she says to me, I can't believe it, he, I don't think he's going to make a high joke. <laughs> She doesn't know Craig that well. As soon as, as, soon as she'd said that to me, you, you made the joke. Yeah. Um, it's a tradition. 
I was very happy about this announcement because uh, if people listen to the show, my hope for the Mac is, look, the Mac has all the major tentpole-style features that it needs. I think what it just needs is sort of uh, refinement. And is that, that's what the name High Sierra sort of sets the bar for? It's, uh, a proud, it could have been Snow Sierra or something. <laughs> <laughs> We've done that. There's a, there's a proud tradition of Mac releases that I think uh, some of our most loved releases sometimes are when we, we take a year to refine and perfect, and we wanted to do it again. Well, Mountain Sierra wouldn't have worked. <laughs> That's the thing. It was Snow Sierra, Mountain Sierra, where do we go with this? And uh, our crack marketing team. They went, <laughs> no. <laughs> First of all... <laughs> First of all, I don't appreciate when you use the crack word and point to me. <laughs> <laughs> but second of all, it is a sad state when you're naming products and you're more afraid of what your head of engineering is going to say about it than all the press and all the customers. <laughs> but truth be told. <laughs> now, it's one of those things, and, and it happened repeatedly through the keynote, and this is how you can tell it was a jam-packed keynote, is one of the things that you guys do in a keynote is when you get to the end of a segment and you still have 20 or 30 other things that are new about this subject, you'll put up a, like a catch-all slide. And in the press area, people like tend to you know, take their phone out or if they have a standalone camera, and then they'll point up and they'll take a picture of that, and then in their notes at the end they have these, you know, go through all those catch-up slides, see if there's anything interesting. And it, it went by so fast where it kept happening where people would be like, oh, it's gone. <laughs> but one of the little things you called out was a 35% improvement in the efficiency of storage of mail. Yeah. And that's the sort of thing that's like music to my ears about this because to me, it's not that there's all these people out there whose MacBooks are stuffed to the limits of the drive with mail but that that's the sort of thing that only happens when you really go through the code and do a, like a refactoring. Yeah, yeah, well, and, and really starting out this year, every team uh, went and said, hey, what, what do we want to make faster in RA the code? The Finder guys were like, hey, you know, it should be a little faster to open a Finder window. So, uh, uh, so they put some focus on that. You know, every, every demo of the Photos team, they bring in the slowest Mac they could find and show me how fast it was launching. You know, it's, 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 it's like that, you know, here's, here's 100,000 photo library. Let's see how fast it launches, right? So, um, yeah, when you start seeing stats like that, it, it, is, a, it is a sign of, uh, you know, every, everybody in engineering putting a focus and going deep in their area. And, 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 by le and you're saying that, like, this, was, this is a type of release where teams can say, here's what we would like to throw effort at, because it's it's, we're not happy with the performance of this part of the system. If you could give us the time and let us do it, we can really get that going. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, certainly at Apple, there's a real blend of saying, hey, we're, we're coming out with a, a new machine, a new iMac Pro with a really interesting architecture. We, gotta, we, we, we all have to do our part to make that possible. Or if you look at like the iPad Pro and what it took to do promotion, huge effort. So, so this, yeah, it's, it's awesome. You're skipping ahead, iPad. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Mac. Uh, but, <clears throat> but, but so there's definitely, there's definitely a fair amount where we, where we have goals as a company and as a release where, where we ask all teams to pull in. What's so awesome about Apple is, is the teams will all rally to to the cause, um, but at the same time, this release, we said, listen, here's 50% here's of the time off the top, 
tell us how you just want to make your stuff better. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and teams took to it. It's, uh, it's great to have great people. Safari got a pretty good chunk of that. Um, yeah. And it seemed like, like you were just flat out said, you know, Safari is faster than Chrome. You, you helped prompt me to do that. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a few weeks ago that you wrote something about uh, Safari and, and you were, uh, you, you, you complimented Safari in one regard and then you said, yeah, and it's okay that Safari's not the fastest. Mm. And I'm like, what? Uh, <laughs> All right. And, and, and I realize when every time one opens their browser and goes to a particular search engine that there's an ad that says get a faster browser, right. that eventually it seeps in and people stop questioning marketing. Where, where that marketing, where that's coming from. And, <laughs> and so we thought we'd bring some knowledge. And uh, it's all true, man. I mean, we've been, that, that team is unbelievably obsessive about performance, and they're, they're absolutely the best in the industry. And it, the Safari team rules, WebKit team, uh, the, the combination of them. And they build the fastest browser on the planet. And uh, honestly, I'm getting sick of people, right. uh, you know, not, not giving them their due. So we had to say it. Go Safari team. Beware a pissed off engineer. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and I thought that the Safari, so I thought that the Safari news yesterday uh, hit on the major themes that Apple has been, uh, I mean, performance is obviously something you guys always care about. So there's that, we just covered that. But then the other angle is the, the privacy angle, right? And so there's a new um, intelligent tracking prevention, and you talked about it, but can, yeah. you, can you nerd out on us a little more here about what's intelligent about it? Yeah, you, you bet. Uh, you know, actually years ago, Safari was the, the first browser to uh, have these mechanisms to try to prevent uh, cross-site uh, tracking. And uh, there became a point where uh, the, the, the tracking industry, uh, the tracking industrial complex is pretty inventive. <laughs> and, and they came up with some, some, some pretty wild mechanisms. Uh, I mean, for a while it was how can we use storage in Flash and how can we use any, you know, any API you can imagine to try to maintain a tracking a cookie effectively across everywhere you go uh, on the web. And the Safari team it has been uh, you know, really drawing deep to try to solve this problem. And we figured out that through a combination of essentially double keying the cookie, saying if you pulled a, a resource and you were on, I don't want to pick a particular publication, you were, on, you were on publication A and it included some JavaScript that tried to pull content from this tracker, that instead of uh, allowing that to be uh, keyed by the tracker's domain, which would be the same domain when you pulled that tracker from another site, we'd segregate it. We'd say, oh, well, this, is, this tracker's going to see a different cookie when you're on site A than when you're on site B than when you're on site C. So we started siloing it. But these guys are even more insidious than that. And so we, we had to actually use some, some local machine learning to figure out which are, which are, which are trackers uh, to, par to partition their data, to delete their data. Um, but but all, all of this is really just to meet, I think, what is, is many reasonable people's expectation, right? right? That when I'm on this site, I know I'm seeing their ads. I don't expect that there's any record anywhere else right. about what I was looking at. And uh, we, 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 think, uh, we think that's the way the web should be. And the Safari team had to work incredibly hard to make that so. 
I, I use the word creepy a lot talking about the tracking, and I do think it's creepy, and I feel like somehow because it's online on a screen and it's computerized and nobody really knows what happens, that people aren't creeped out in the way that they would be in the real world. Like if I go to Macy's and I'm looking at jeans and I decide, eh, I don't, I don't like them, I'm not gonna buy any jeans. And then I go into another store and somebody comes up to me and says, would you like some jeans? Right. That's creepy, I'm immediately thinking, how do you know this? You, what, well, what is going on here? Let me see the jeans, though. Yeah. Uh, but I am creeped out, you know, and that's why it works, because maybe, you know, it, it, obviously sometimes it works, but it's, I do think that there's a reasonable, there should be a reasonable expectation of privacy in that regard. And just putting your browser in private mode isn't a great solution to that because then you lose all sorts of helpful user features that are based on, hey, you know, we're remembering right. stuff, you know. Yeah, and that was, the, that was actually the hardest part about it. it it's, it's easy to do if you're willing to completely break the web. Right. Uh, but, the, you know, what's, sort of what's, the, what's the point of that? Um, but but the, the, the kind of things that, um, it's, it's not just, you know, I go here and I look at the genes. I mean, it's, you go here and then they say, hey, we noticed that your uh, uh, car, uh, your lease on your car is nearly up. I mean, they don't say that, but they know that. Right. right? They're like, we, we know you own, I don't know what you own, if you own a car. But uh, do you own a car? Uh, I was going to buy the Apple car. Okay. Oh, the, uh, if, so, at, at the time, well done. Well, we're going to have to work on that then. <laughs> Uh, if, if, uh, you know, they, they, they know, they, you know, they're, they're correlating, hey, we know what, we know what, uh, what you bought at the grocery store, and we know this, and they tie it together, and it's like, yeah, it's creepy. Yeah, well, it's great that Safari is working on it. And then the other one, too, and it got huge, I never know what you guys can tell, I mean, here we get pretty good audience feedback, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's very direct. the, the autoblock feature got huge, a huge, uh, applause. And it's because people are so annoyed. People, are, people use their MacBooks all over the place, you know, whether it's work or a library or something. And when all of a sudden you click a link, somebody's like, check this out, and you get all this sound, it's embarrassing. It, it's, it's, uh, it is a great way to tell who's not paying attention in a meeting. <laughs> I, I, it's happened. It, I, I kid you not, literally, while we were reviewing this feature, the slides for this feature, in, a, in one of our rehearsals, yep. somebody's browser goes off playing an ad. And this is, this is someone who shall not be named who is not yet running the beta. And uh, it, was, gonna, it, was, it, was, it was a perfect proof point. I'm going to make a bet. I'm going to bet it was Eddie. <laughs> I, Eddie, is, Eddie is one of our best beta testers. <laughs> He was already on the beta. Oh, yeah. Eddie, was, he's, Eddie he's, is he's aggressive the with the betas. On every beta. No, in fact, in, in most, most of our executive team meetings, Eddie is updating two well, or more devices. During the meeting. He's got on, his... On, on the boardroom table. spread out. Yeah. yeah no, he's got That morning's that update. All right. Um, it's true. It's, this is really true. Uh, what is... Is there anything in Mac OS High Sierra that either didn't get time on stage or didn't get enough that you would like to talk about? Oh, boy. Yeah, I, you know, I, on the way over here, I was uh, tapping out notes to myself on all the things I was going to forget to say when I got here. <laughs> I feel like I'm not going to pull my, my phone out right now and, uh, and look at that list. Oh, that's yeah, all right. We, what we about... a lot of things. What about... Um, 
the, the face syncing across devices. Now that's something that we talked about yeah. last year. Yeah. And it was it, it, it was per device, and so you'd get a new device, and and it even it again throughout the year it played into the when the Mac new MacBook Pros came out last fall. And some people were saying, eh, my battery life isn't that great. And you guys looked into it, and part of it yep. is the first-run experience, and it's redoing spotlight indexes and this stuff. Um, clearly, you guys, it, it wasn't there last year simply because it wasn't done. It wasn't like yeah. you didn't have it on the... No, we'd, we'd been working on it. And it, it, it's actually something that's uh, harder to get right than you'd think, because when you go through the process of classifying uh, your, your photos, we, we offer up and we say, uh, hey, is this John? And then, you know, is this John? And you say, yes, yes. But every, when you say yes to one face, we're actually saying, okay, well, there are a thousand other photos we saw that we think are the same person as this, so we're going to count those all as John. But all you really told us is about that one photo. And so what we actually sync, and it's important that we get this right, is we sync only the photos the specific photos you told us about, and then each, because uh, that's really the true data, right? That's what the user really told us. And then we sync that information, and then each device, because they're independently doing photo recognition, are taking that and re-deriving the coming to the common result on all your machines uh, to synchronize. So we synchronize actually very little data, and it's all just the truth data, and then we're able to pull back the right the right solution. Uh, but getting that, that architecture completely right was, uh, it uh, took a little longer than, uh, than we would have liked, and uh, so we're, we're super excited to have it done now. But do you think it's safe to say, I think that in broad strokes, there are people who think that, well, Apple places a very high priority on privacy, and there's features that are useful to have going through the cloud, and Apple therefore misses out on some features because of their stance on privacy because they don't want it to go through the cloud. I get the impression that it's more that sometimes it takes longer to do it because you're only going to do it in a way that is very, very... It takes longer to do it with privacy. I think it takes longer to, sometimes to do things right. Uh, and I think, I think we've come up with uh, architectures, and we started to talk about some uh, today, or I mean, it's today, God, it's been a blur, but uh, ye yesterday, I guess it was, wasn't it? Um, that uh, about how we're actually able to, to sync some information through the cloud, like what uh, Siri derives about you, um, in a way that's completely uh, secure and end-to-end -end encrypted. So we're, we're, we're starting to build some of the tools that enable us to keep all the privacy properties we want, but have uh, some of the, that, uh, those, those cloud uh, Characteristics, and so I think I think we'll we'll be getting faster and faster in this regard. But we've got to preserve privacy along the way. Uh, it was announced last year, but it, it, APFS. But now it's out. Now it's on my phone. It's been on my phone <laughs> yes. for a couple of months. What was that like when that iOS update rolled out? To have a, a .3 update that changed the file system. Uh, and, you, and, and the other thing, too, is you guys, Tim, Tim had the slide where 90% of iPhone users are on the latest. Yeah. So they're, they're going to get upgraded. Our, our file system team is unbelievable. Uh, what, what they, yeah, they, they deserve. What, what, what they've pulled off 
in, in a couple of years, um, you know, I think any, any comparable benchmark of file systems in the past has probably taken a decade. And when, uh, I mean, their, their degree of, of automation and rigor, I mean, they're, they're coming in saying, okay, we've gone from five nines to six nines on the you know, reliability of this process. Um, we actually had uh, this process running for earlier iOS updates where when you updated to 10.1 or 10.2, we were trial migrating your whole file system, hmm. consistency checking it, reporting back to us whether the upgrade was 100% clean, and then, roll, and then rolling it back. <laughs> and then, uh, so, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. There's uh, the old carpenters saying, measure twice, cut once. <laughs> <laughs> with, with a file system change for a, uh, Phil, how many iPhones are in use? Over a billion. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, so it's more like measuring. So remember that video at the beginning? Right. Yep. Apocalypse. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got it wrong. That's what it, that's what it could have been had we uh, had it not worked. But uh, it, it was absolutely the the. Uh, I mean, I, never in the history of file systems right. has there been a growth from zero to you know hundreds of millions almost literally overnight. And so it's. Uh, yeah. All right. The other half of the Mac story is hardware. And yesterday was, in my opinion, a huge day for Mac hardware. Now, you spoiled a bit of it a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> but I actually feel like that roundtable discussion and the stories that came out of it actually made yesterday's keynote a little bit more dramatic because it seemed to me that as John Turnus was up there introducing the new iMacs <coughs> and talking about the higher end configs that are available, it sounded to me like he might be describing the iMac configurations more like pro configurations that yeah. you openly discussed at that meeting. And I was like, well, maybe that's, maybe they're not gonna call it like iMac pro you know, they're just going to keep beefing up these systems. And right. there were other people in the press, you know, we don't talk a lot, we're trying to listen, but it seemed like everybody was like, is that the, that's the, yeah, uh, I'm like 64 gigs of RAM and right. 5.5 teraflops. I mean, it's a, it was a meaningful, it is a, a pretty awesome machine. And the, the, <coughs> the VR demo on the planet Mustafar, where the, the yeah. woman was meeting Darth Vader. That was running on the iMac that you could go to the Apple Store and buy today. That's yes. right. Right? Yeah. Uh, and, and then came the iMac Pro. <laughs> Is that the name of this podcast? <laughs> and then came the iMac Pro. <laughs> and everybody immediately in the press started saying, well, this... Wait, are they announcing the Mac Pro that they were going... Is that, Is that, this is the Mac Pro, so... And uh, uh, I got a text from someone, I got a text from Bill Evans in Apple PR, like 10 seconds after this happened, he goes, this is not the Mac Pro, by the way. <laughs> but tell me about, what, talk to me about the iMac Pro. And who do you think it's for? Where, where is the, where is this, who is this for that the already pretty pro Core i7 27-inch iMac, you know, isn't enough for? Well, I think that you, 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 there's a bunch of customers already 
that use the iMac Pro for pro work. In fact, we talked about this in the roundtable, that if you look at the total universe of pro users on Mac, the biggest group is on, on, on MacBook Pro. The second biggest group is on, on iMac, the current iMacs, and, and third biggest is on, on Mac Pro. And, and so we have a bunch of people already happy with what Mac Pro, iMac does today, and they use their iMacs, and so now they get more with the, with the, with the faster iMacs. The hope is, and the belief is, that there are customers uh, across all of those who want more performance, and they want, they like all-in-ones. I mean, that's the, the Mac started, that's its life, it began, it's all-in-one is the, the beauty of it, the integration of it, and if we can give them the kind of performance you expect from a tower desktop uh, in an iMac, there's a base of customers who want that, more than the current iMac has. And they're pushing the boundaries of um, of, of video editing and uh, 3D rendering and, and doing AI work and want massive fast build times. And to them, there isn't enough power. As much as you can give them, they can use. And that there are customers for that. How many? We don't know until we start shipping and see. We think we have a, a handle on what that is. We forecast that we plan it. But it's, it's, it's significant to the Mac business, you know, and, and we'll see to the universe of computing. But, but Already the response have been getting emails and, and tweets and posts from people who are, are saying, I'd never imagine I could get an iMac like this. This is what I want. So we'll see. Yeah. The other part of the hardware story, and there's also new MacBook Pros um, and, and the new MacBook and um, a, a megahertz improvement to the MacBook Air. <laughs> it get, what you, I think you said it, it gets more megahertz. It does. We put several more in the box. Um, <laughs> but I think a big part of the hardware news that came out yesterday is this, the eGPU story, the external mm -hmm. GPU. Got some Thunderbolt fans in the uh, audience. Right? <laughs> talk to me about the work that goes into that, where it's not... It, 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 it must have a big part to do with your team, where it's oh, yeah. not just find some of the electrical engineers and say, give us a GPU and we'll plug it in to Thunderbolt and <laughs> graphics will get better. Like, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, that's pretty much how it went. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, there, there, there are a whole bunch of things. I mean, certainly uh, at the level of, a, a Mac has never had a GPU disappear on it. I mean, not certainly in not a way that it was going to recover right, yeah. from. Yeah. Uh, and, and so at a, at a whole system architectural level uh, and a software architectural level, the idea that a GPU becomes something that could appear on the system and could disappear on the system and that that's okay uh, is, uh, uh, is, was, was, is, a, is a very big thing to, uh, to sort out at, at, many, at many levels. Uh, and so uh, we, we had to work on that. The, the other thing that um, was true not just in our stack, but will be true in, in third-party apps as well, is uh, Thunderbolt has actually really pretty substantial bandwidth, uh, but the latency is higher than if you're, if you're right on the local bus. And so uh, certain graphics workloads have done a really good job of managing, I'm going to move all my textures over there, I'm going to do a relatively few number of round trips between that GPU that's doing a ton of work on the data it has cached over there uh, and the CPU. 
And actually, a lot of the VR engines, uh, the, the big gaming engines like the ones from Epic and Unity, actually perform pretty great on an eGPU. It's almost as if it's right on the bus because they're so well-tuned for how they move the data. Um, but there are a lot of apps that uh, are not nearly so disciplined in how they manage those round trips. And so that latency uh, can be problematic. Now, when we work with them, we've, we can find ways to tune that out of the system. Uh, but out of the gates, we know that's going to take some time. And so that's why we wanted to first get it out there, have a developer kit, have the developers who have pro apps that really could scale with the GPU, and give them time to work with us and, and use the tools we provided to optimize their apps so that when customers get an eGPU, uh, they actually experience the, the benefits. Uh, the other thing is that... We, we talk about GPUs, and it's obviously graphics is the G in GPUs, and you think of things like AR and VR, and, and it's no surprise that they were um, major parts of, of the demos yesterday, yeah. because they, they demo well. Yeah. And they are graphics. Um, but the other thing that's going on in, in the world of computer science at large is that all of this machine learning work is going through GPU processing, not CPU processing, because that's just, I don't know. But <laughs> it's beyond, it's over my pay grade of how I understand how computers work. But the eGPU is going to be a major factor in that, too, right? Well, that, that's right. I, I mean, that, that I put up a, a chart of the growth and performance of GPUs. We, we didn't show the line for CPUs, but it, it, it wasn't quite as impressive, <laughs> right? Um, uh, because GPUs are a case where, as we've been able to shrink, uh, increased transis transistor density, you can essentially just throw more and more transistors at the problem of graphics processing, and it pretty much scales up. It's just a very parallelizable task. And it turns out that if you want teraflops of performance to uh, run a machine learning model, uh, it's, you can parallelize that on a GPU, and you can get tremendous wins. And, and the CPU just, uh, just can't compare. And it kind of, if you look at, look at the trajectory on the road forward, you're going to continue to see that kind of path, just because the nature of the parallel computation of a GPU. Uh, and so an eGPU is absolutely an awesome uh, solution for that. And that's, that's also why it's important that we're putting uh, these kind of big GPUs in systems like the, the high-end iMac and, and iMac Pro. For some tasks, it's absolutely the best tool for the job. And I think we, you know, providing uh, APIs like Metal and, and now Metal 2, um, for, for any of you developers out there, I mean, if you have a computationally intensive task, the, the, the absolutely, the rocket fuel you have is to move that task onto the GPU if at all possible. And I know you don't want to skip to, to iPad, but if you saw that Affinity Pro demo, right. stunning what they've been able to achieve compared to, you know, they're blowing away what people are doing uh, in many cases on desktops because they're making such efficient use of, of metal and the power of the GPU to do work that in years past people tried to write that code on the, on the CPU, and they're just seeing unbelievable acceleration. Also, I don't want to lose the fact that um, when you think about how we're doing the rollout and the plan of the eGPU to developers first and then, and then customers later, this isn't about just, hey, get some great Twitch gaming on Mac. This is, this is about a pro strategy. And so just like we launched the iMac Pro and we're doing work on the Mac Pro and, and we're doing Metal 2 work, the eGPU was about what would a pro user want? How do they want to get it? And they, what apps do they need and how long is it going to take for those to be tuned so they can count on them to get their job done? This isn't just a, a quick throw it out there thing. So we did it as another example on the list of things we're doing for pro customers. Yeah. One of the... <laughs> 
One of the things I loved about the, the Star Wars demo, well, I mean, number one, I loved that it was John Knoll. I was like, why? I was like, why isn't the audience storming the stage? It's John fucking Knoll, the guy invented Photoshop. Holy shit, there he is. Uh, Thank you all for holding back on yeah. <laughs> uh, But the thing I loved about the demo is, sure, I can imagine, I like Star Wars, you know, I can imagine it would be very fun to some VR on and, and have a fight with Darth Vader in a game or something with this high graphic, you know, showing off the graphics. But what I liked about the demo was that she wasn't playing a game, she was, she was doing creative work. It was creative professional work of moving stuff and you can see, you know, it, it's like what PageMaker or Quark Express was to doing graphic design on screen. This is what it's like to do 3D creation. Like you, it, it, it makes sense that you'd want to create this 3D stuff in a 3D view like this. So I loved that the demo was really more of like a really cool uh, creative app. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. I mean, it's, it is funny that we've been doing almost of our 3D creation in 2D. Right. Right. And so to actually put yourself as in the real world in a 3D environment in order to look at what you've created. I mean, instead of this cycle where I'll try to manipulate it in 2D and then I'll try to you know, do a render on it to now be able to interact with it uh, in 3D and to get that uh, stereoscopic sense of it live as you're moving, it's, it's, it's instant right. feedback. It's such a productive way to work. Uh, and this is, this is great for VR, it's also actually uh, you know, it's, it's one of these hard things to get through in a demo on a flat screen, but, but also in AR, when you can have an object and walk around it and get closer and do these kinds of things in real space, uh, it gives you this, this sense of, of what, you're, what you're working on uh, that's really tough to capture in a traditional environment. And so as Phil says, this really our, our big inspiration in, in supporting VR is, is about content creation. I think the other thing I got out of yesterday's keynote, and it's not, you know, every year it, it depends on what you have to announce, and sometimes it's more developer-oriented, and sometimes it's not, just because that's what's ready in early June. But I thought yesterday's was a very, very developer-first uh, keynote in terms of, there's like less of, it was less of an emphasis, especially on the Mac side, I, I think in some ways, of tentpole features for users <laughs> And it was more about new frameworks for developers, like ARKit. I mean, ARKit's a big one. Is, is it called, is there a VRKit or no? It's just ARKit. But it's metal. Right. Me and the metal yeah, too. VR and metal too. Metal. Right. Yep. And in other words, and, and what I heard was that, uh, th that when the hands-on area opened up at four to attendees, the number of developers who were trying to, to you know, get see what this is like, the, the, the enthusiasm was just through the roof yeah. and the line was out the door down the hall. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it, it, was, it was evident really in presenting it, just, you know, when we got to the slide with AR on it, I mean, the, the, you know, the room started to, started to lift a little bit and uh, it's, it's clear there are uh, so many creative minds out there that are just itching to take advantage of what we've done and, and we, we really saw that with the, you know, sometimes you work on something and you know you have a feeling how, how important it can be, how big it can be, uh, but then you start bringing a couple early developers in and they start taking a look at it and you're like, wow, this is gonna be even, even bigger than we thought. And that, that's the reaction. And so that, that's what's so exciting about getting it out here. Now suddenly you know, th millions of developers really are gonna have an opportunity to, to uh, 
kick the tires on this and, and do a whole bunch of things with it that we uh, really couldn't even imagine. And, and to tie a knot on the Mac segment, I really felt like yesterday's combination of software announcements, developer announcements, not just features in, in Mac OS, but developer frameworks and things that developers can create in Mac OS combined with, I think, a very, very impressive hardware story that still doesn't involve the Mac Pro that you <laughs> talked about two months ago uh, really should put to rest the notion that Apple is like losing interest in the Mac and that the Mac is some team that's sitting there you know, with cobwebs and dust <laughs> gathering on them. Glad to hear that came through. It, That's it, the truth. Yeah, I, I, I we, we'll, we'll, we'll say it over and over and over again. We've we said it before, <laughs> and at least now I think there's tangible reasons for people to trust it, that the future of the Mac is really strong. We have a long roadmap ahead. There's complete commitment from the whole company that we're dedicated to it, and the investment's really strong there, and we think we're going to keep the Mac at the forefront of what makes the best personal computing. And that's what we believe, that's what we want to do, and, and I'm glad people saw some of that this week. Yeah. I, I am. All right, iPad, iPad Pro. Uh, another one, and this is a recurring theme, it was with uh, the HomePod speakers, hard to demo in a big cavernous room to see how this is gonna sound in your living room. Uh, VR is kind of hard to demo on a 2D screen. The 120 megahertz refresh rate of scrolling on the thing, it, it's hard to show on a, I don't know, 30 frames per second video? I don't know. But when you get your hands on this thing, I'm I don't know, has anybody here seen the, the new iPad Pros yet? Like, it, it feels like it's awesome. It's all new. It's, it's sort of uh, almost as like a step like going from non-retina to retina because it's like this, I, I don't want to go back. It, it really is. I, I, there, it was actually, I don't know, it was probably three years ago when we put together prototypes uh, and we were, we were using uh, a Mac Pro to drive a custom display and get it running at, uh, you know, special board to, to run at 120 hertz and we had a uh, Safari web page that we'd all pre-rendered and we could do it at, at 120 hertz and you know we were just one after another gathering around it. right <laughs> and and everyone was just you know oh my god we have to do this and and it but it took that kind of um, dedication to it because then it's like okay let's talk to the silicon team right let's put this let's let's go build some silicon that we can ship in a few years because it it really took that. I mean, the whole, it, it, it required custom silicon, and then it required um, big changes to our graphics drivers, our, uh, you know, core animation, now schedules animations at variable frame rates. You can say, well, my animation needs to run at 30, or mine needs to run at, at, at 60 or 120, and it knows how to then drive the display appropriately. Uh, obviously, we had to manage power. Uh, and then we had to optimize every app, because they had half as much time uh, to get the next frame ready. Uh, pencil and, team, take advantage of and, and, and the pencil team, so we, you know, now, now it's great because we have twice as many opportunities to, to draw as you're moving your pencil, but then we also upped the scanning rate, uh, we doubled that to 240 hmm. uh, to capture where the pencil was. Uh, and so this was, this was just a massive, one of these things that's just a massive effort across 
uh, silicon hardware and software to pull something off where you really, you know, this early glimpse of how great it can be uh, and, and then to just have it, have it come together. And I'll just, uh, you know, Phil, Phil was in a meeting, he had, he had one, and I was out of my corner of the eye, I'm like, Oh my God, that's such smooth scrolling happening over there. You know, it's like paging through I was, something. I was, I was using the new iPad Pro without others knowing I had it yet in, in our own <laughs> internal meeting. Mm. And so I figured I'm being really subtle. I get in a case nobody can tell, and I'm just using, and Craig's doing this double take. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's great. And I, I think, you know, some, some others have pushed on, on resolution as the big thing. Actually, there's so, I, I think our focus on, uh, on, on color uh, depth, on refresh rate. I mean, these these are where the these are where the really big wins are on brightness. True uh, these uh, true tone display. Uh, I mean, we're I, I think our display team is just doing uh, un, unreal work, and uh, it's it's great to ship something. Like I thought that that really showed too. Just to go back because I skipped it, but I thought that the new iMac displays in person, it's like this seems impossible. It really, it really looks more like uh, like a piece of film with a bright project, you know, like rear projection coming yeah. through. It, it's incredible. And I, I have to say, as somebody who owns the first 5K iMac, when the second one came out and it had the the wider color gamut, it's like hey, that looks nice but I don't need to upgrade. And now I feel like my iMac at home looks dim. I mean, it's... I, I, I suggest you upgrade. <laughs> what? Tell me about everything that is encompassed by ProMotion. What is that? I, I, the blurred, I, I don't what, like, is the 120 hertz thing part of ProMotion? Yeah, it's, it's 120 hertz. It's the whole variable refresh rate that allows us, because when you're, when you're driving at 120 hertz, of course, that's more computationally intensive, right? You're rendering twice as many frames. You're driving the display twice as fast. So that's inherently consuming more power. And so the key about ProMotion is both from a power savings point of view, a lot of the time things aren't moving and we can take the refresh rate way down, which has a commensurate savings in power. Uh, and so net, it, it, it's a win. Um, but also there's content like that you're, you're watching uh, movie content and maybe it's shot at 24 or 48 and normally you're doing this 3-2 pull down to hit 60 and it's, it's actually slightly uneven. And now on a ProMotion display, it's perfect, right? And so you get none of that. Uh, Uh, on the software side for iOS, I mean, and, um, iPad in particular got a huge amount of attention this year in iOS 11 uh, with significant improvements, expansion uh, to multitasking, multiple things on, on screen at once um, with, and with drag and drop. Um, is that, on, on iOS, was that... Uh, uh, Am I making it harder than it seems? But is, it, is the sandbox nature of iOS make it harder for the drag and drop? Because it seems like anything you can drag, you should be able to drag now. But is that, are there implications for that with sandboxing that-, that Oh, there, to there totally are. Uh, and uh, you know, the, the team has, has gotten, has built up quite a security architecture to make these kinds of things actually pretty natural for us to do. But when you're starting to drag, you're conceivably dragging that content over 
many apps on which you, you don't actually intend to drop, right? You can be starting a drag and then swiping over multiple applications. Right. And so our interaction is such that we tell the, the, the app about what kind of thing it, it might be going, going to receive, but we don't actually let it manipulate the data. And even if it wants to tell us that, oh, because you're hovered over me and the user might drop over me, I want you to scale the photo a little differently because this is how it would look here. We do that, we let it tell us that without ever giving it the data. And we'll, we, you know, the system will render without giving it the data. And then when you drop, okay, now you've given permission to have access to the data. And we're actually able, sometimes the data that's being dragged, it could be some giant image or movie that the source app has. Uh, and when you drop it on the destination, we're able to instantly transfer it to the destination because we use APFS instant snapshots to hand it a, a, copy, of the, a copy of the file. And uh, it can start consuming it, and the other app can even then go ahead and modify it, and it doesn't matter. We've taken an a instant cheap snapshot to transfer the data securely. So there's, there's absolutely a, a, lot of, a lot of thought that goes into making that secure, but in the end, it, it, all, uh, it all comes together. You, you can give the example also in files, how you give access to reading a specific file to an app without you know, giving everything open to it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, in the traditional um, you know, PC architecture, every app, if it wanted to be able to browse your, your documents folder, your desktop, well, it can see all those files. It can read those files and even modify all those files. On iOS, of course, everything exists in that sandbox. But what happens is with the Files app, if you drag a image out of uh, any folder you have uh, into Keynote or into whatever third-party app, um, we're just punching a very small hole in the sandbox, right, to get it just that access. So even a, a rogue app can't go and right. look, at, look at all your files. And the path to that pinprick is through user actions which is an implicit That's exactly it. granting we, of permission. We, we want, yeah, there's no dialogue popping up saying, you know, right. do you want to grant this app access right. to this file because your action is, you, you, you knew, uh, you indicated that you knew you wanted that app to see that file and only that file. We don't want to grant any more than what you and your gesture indicated you were trying to accomplish. All right, uh, huge, huge applause line. I mean, I think people have been dying for this, but the files app. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> So it's not just files on your iPad, and, and it's it, you know, and it works with third parties. The demos included Box and Dropbox, um, but there's also APIs that apps can use. So that like, if somebody had um, like a chat app, like a, a WeChat or one of those type things, and you wanted to be able to have the user pick uh, any file, not just an image from your image library. They don't have to write the code for that. There's a standard with the Files app. There's a, it's, it's sort of like the iOS equivalent of open and save dialog boxes. That, that, that's right. And in fact, you know, one of our uh, real test cases for this is, were the iWork apps, Pages, Keynote, and so forth. They've traditionally had their own file browser, but of course their own file browser could only browse the files in, uh, inside the app's container. And we were able to make the, the, essentially, as you say, the sort of open and save panel, the, the library view that we provide to third-party apps, uh, a level of, of fidelity that we could just replace the entire implementation inside of those apps with the system panel right. uh, and make it extensible enough that they could do 
at the app level everything they wanted while giving them this, this full access. So we think this is going to drive uh, a lot of uh, functionality across all these apps because they're going to get access to, to browse, safe browsing of, for the user of the whole file system, but also consistency. So you'll have actually a good file right. browser built in right. uh, to all these apps. The, 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 the Files app is also just a fascinating topic because of the path it took to get to where we are. Uh, as you recall, you know, when we started with iOS, one of the goals was if you could recreate a computer post-internet age, what are the problems that occurred that, that where good things went awry and how do you fix them for the future? And one of the areas was file management. That on a PC, it's great that we've got our file systems and we launch apps by launching files. But for most consumers, they actually don't manage the files with hierarchies that are logically organized. They actually just go to the internet and say, oh, download this, download this, and it, it spreads everywhere. And desktops are filled with a complete mess and nobody can find anything. So one of the goals with iOS from the beginning was, how do you fix that so the average consumer using it never runs into that problem? And, and so we had the document model of managing files just built in automatically, which is great for the billion users, but of course, through the years, pros and advanced users have said, no, I like to create a hierarchy. I need to create workspaces where I manage all my documents together. And in the beginning, we thought, we don't know how we make these two things make sense together. And that's what's happened with the files. There's yeah. years of investigation and figuring out uh, how to do that and solve for that. And so for most consumers, they will never need to use the files app. It's, they work just as they did already on iOS. They use their phone with one hand, they get to the documents, they get to what they want, they don't have a desktop cluttered with files and they don't get confused by it. But anyone else who wants it, it's there and it works within it. So it's very consistent between the two models. I mean, it speaks to the difference between iOS and Mac as platforms that the Mac, and, and it's just the way it was designed and I think it's too late to change, but when you boot up a new Mac, where, where do you wind up after you, you know, go through the first run? You wind up in the Finder. You're in the file system. That's just the starting point. And on iOS, you've got, you know, you, now you've got Dropbox, you've got Box, you've got your iCloud Drive. So if you have a shared folder on Dropbox, you can get it from any app that supports it. But when you start up, what do you see? You see the same thing you saw when the iPad ship originally. Here's your apps. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I mean, part of the, the wonder of the, the iPad is that it's brought computing to, to both the, the very young and the very old in a way that, that you know, the computers weren't able to reach. And uh, we, we didn't want to break that, and we feel great that we've been able to have, you know, many, many, many of us who, who want to take advantage of this additional power but do it in a way that we can have that and, and not break what uh, has made the iPad so so special, and I think we did that with files, and I think we, we also, um, I think I've been pretty, uh, I, I feel really successful in preserving that with how we've handled the, the dock and multitasking. If, if, you don't, if you don't flick from the bottom of the screen, and you just, you're that little kid who just hits the home button because you know you want right. to go back and, and see your stuff, um, that just works. That still works just as it did before. Uh, but if you're someone who is more sophisticated and it's very natural, flick up into the app switcher, pull something down, move it around, like it scales up to all of that in a way that uh, I think it, you know really really gives a more um, uh, pro user uh, more capability. And, and there's like a path. It's not like you have to jump off a cliff to go there. It's like you can you can pretty continuous experience. Right. Yeah. And it reminds me of like like features that are there for quote unquote power users in the Mac, where most people if they want to find a folder, find the folder, double click it, and then 
double click the next thing. And people who, you know, like us who use it all the time know you can use the arrow keys and command down, command down to go down and file hard key, you know. Yep. But that's not there for you know the regular user who just needs. They don't have to go down the eight levels of hierarchy because they only have two. That's right. right. Yep. And they could just double click. Um, iOS software features. Other some of them. One of them that struck me were the new Siri voices. Yeah. And it seems to me like in in uh, this this verbal communication, the AI assistant computing, that the voice of the device is sort of like the equivalent of the typeface in a GUI where you, you know, it, you want it to be nice. And it's, you know, I, I, it seemed very impressive. I didn't get to play with it yet, but it seems like it's really, really much more realistic. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a really, uh, it's a big improvement. I, I completely agree with the, the metaphor. I mean, the voice, the voice is, is the interface. It is the typeface. It is here, it, and it, it, it colors the, the whole experience. And uh, this this voice is uh, and and the synthesis that goes into it is uh, completely Apple developed and we we really were able to build something uh, starting from the the state of the art in using deep learning to understand how to inflect the voice how to well, you know where where to place the pauses how to stitch together all of these pieces of of natural speech. Uh, and it makes a big difference. I, you know, we're, we're still not done. I mean, speech, uh, the, the human voice is an incredibly uh, sophisticated thing, and we are incredibly sensitive about how, uh, how we uh, interpret it. Uh, but this is, this is a, a big step forward. And uh, yeah, I had, a, I had an incident, uh, I guess I should be a little ashamed of it, but uh, I was drive, driving with, uh, with a friend who is not a disclosed Apple employee. Um, uh, <laughs> Like a month ago, with 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 my my phone, and I forgot it had the the new voice on, and I was hooked up to to CarPlay, and uh, uh, Siri started started talking, and he's like, "Wow, that sounds really good." Uh, <laughs> like, I really? I don't I don't notice anything. Uh, <laughs> it's the speakers. Yeah, yeah, it must be. I don't know what. To, yeah. I tell you what. One other thing that happened throughout many of the Siri topics through the keynote, I'm going to say something unbelievably risky. Hey Siri. <laughs> and it wasn't that long ago right. where I would now literally get 10,000 emails. What did you do? You just set off my device right. and blah, blah, blah. And um, very few people had that experience uh, with, throughout the show. And uh, for good engineering reasons of, of a lot of advancements done in the recognition of your own voice versus other people's and multiple devices not all going off at the same time. And, a lot of really great improvements there. And, yeah. and it, that seems like the type of feature that, that takes a lot of work and then gets no credit at all because when you say, hey, Siri, here in this theater and people's phones aren't lighting up, uh, that's just the way it's supposed to be because clearly that's not what I was trying to do. But when they do, people notice. You can yeah. stop using dingus, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't know if people... We might have a new title for the episode. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if people are really conscious of it, but and we've, made, we've made improvements on it this year as well, but we uh, built a, a mechanism into to Siri where if you have multiple devices of your own, you know, we, we, and this was a, a problem certainly at Apple where 
lot of us have a lot of devices around our office. Uh, and you'd you'd say the Siri trigger phrase, and you know every one of your devices, which would rec correctly recognize you, but they'd all independently correctly recognize you, and all start responding together in this chorus, uh, and <clears throat> that wasn't great. And we knew, of course, coming out with with HomePod as well, we'd only be adding to the the chorus, and so uh, we we built something where actually all of your devices are coordinating wirelessly. And so the moment they all hear you, they all broadcast to each other uh, which one they think is um, uh, closest to you, like a sense of how, how, how close, which one they think you're talking to, and they also will sense which one was most recently used by you, because maybe you're using your phone, and the fact your iPad's close, but you're probably thinking about your phone, weighs into it, and they essentially instantly vote on, on who should respond, and the others all quiet down, and, and one of them speaks up. Um, but this, I mean, it's a really subtle thing, but it involves all of this networking, and it's so important to having, a, you know, a, a great experience with something like, uh, you know, using your voice to, to ask a question. And some other companies might do that on their servers, but we do it locally. <laughs> we <so>. do, too. <laughs> yeah. So, on that point, I, I think that there is, there Consensus is the wrong word, but the conventional wisdom. The conventional wisdom is that the doing it on your devices first strategy that Apple has with this is flawed and that the strategy of doing it in a monstrous thing like the opening apocalypse movie, you know, in a, in a cloud server is, is going to leave you behind. And I, I, I got the sense in the keynote yesterday that you guys are are confident of your chances in the Siri versus the other companies' products, battles in coming already here and coming in the years to come? Yes. <laughs> uh, one more iMessage, or not iMessage thing, one more iOS thing was the, the iMessage syncing, and that t ties in with the Mac as well. Um, I, I, this seems like the type of thing that's going to make a lot of people very happy, uh, and I, I think it really helps. Maybe with you guys, as Apple employees who test, like you said, uh, disclosed hardware. Uh, but for someone like me, who again, I'm not complaining. I love my job. This is amazing that I get review units of hardware. Um, but then I wind up with seven uh, of these things, and I set up a new iPhone. And if I don't download a whole backup from the cloud, uh, I don't have my iMessage there, but I will now. That, that, yeah, that's that's right. Uh, I, I think you know. We, yeah, it's good. It's good. But but in a way, the the main point though. But in a way that the thing that would get pulled down is end to end encrypted, meaning it was encrypted on the device when it went to Apple, and it's the the encrypted format. It's on the servers there can't be opened by that, Apple. That, that's right. We've we've yeah. We, yeah, our, our, our um, security and encryption team has been doing work over a number of years now to be able to synchronize information across your, what we call your circle of devices, um, you know, all those devices that are associated with, with a common account in a way that they each generate and share keys with each other that, that Apple does not have. 
And uh, so even if they store information in the cloud, it's encrypted with, with keys that Apple doesn't have. And so it can, they can put things in the cloud, they can pull stuff down from the cloud, so the cloud still serves as a, as a, as a uh, conduit and, and even ultimately a kind of backup for them. Uh, but, but only they, they can read it. And uh, we built on that this year, and we're using it for um, messages in the cloud, and they, they also will roll keys um, automatically so that you, know, you have that, that kind of, and, and exchange them amongst each other. Uh, and we use that to, to also be able to, to take what Siri is learning about you locally uh, and make sure that you, you want really one Siri, right? To your, to your mind, there's your Siri, and your Siri knows about you, and you don't want to have to teach the, every time you get a new, uh, a new device uh, or use a different device that it's as if you're talking to a different assistant, right? right? You want one. And so Siri's now able to exchange that information between your own devices, uh, but, but in a way that's, that's private to you. And so, uh, yeah, with this, this is an example of where we're, we're really investing in the technologies necessary to, to both deliver the capability and, and preserve privacy. Excellent. Um, The iOS App Store is pretty popular. I don't know. I mean, I think it gets used a couple of times a day. It's Ten uh, apps or, daily, I think. Uh, <laughs> a, a total redesign. I mean, it does look like a new App Store. Um, yeah. Is there anything on the thinking of that that didn't make it into the keynote? That yeah, yeah, there's a lot. Um, I'll pick on one. I'll just pick out one, one thing to mention. So the, um, on every product page is app, app reviews and ratings. And there are ratings for every app. One of the things I learned talking to developers over the last year or so is that some developers don't like submitting their updates because it resets the, the rating. Yes. And so they would get upset saying, oh, man, I have a choice. Fix some bugs or blow away my ratings or keep my high rating. I have a 4.7 and I don't want to submit it. And I thought that was kind of stupid. So, <laughs> so with this, and, and there's, it's in deference to the team, there's, there's this logic to why you, it's a tough trade-off of what to do for users, what users want to see. But um, so what we decided is with this um, turn of the app store, now that that rating uh, will not reset, when the developer submits the app, they don't be afraid of that, it can stay as it is. But you can imagine when you're thinking through that, there are some developers that have bad ratings, they thought they nailed it with some new update, and they wouldn't like that, so it'd be 50-50. So there's a switch when they submit an iTunes Connect that says, no, I want to blow away my rating and start over with this update, and so we'll let them do that. So you developers now in control of that situation. I, I thought one of the understated aspects of the design change is the separation of games from apps. Mm -hmm. And so at a technical level, a game is an app. It's an app that you launch and the thing you do in it is play the game. But I think having the App Store treat them as separate entities is a big change because I don't think, the game, games are so popular that you look at the top selling charts, I mean, I don't know if you probably look at them since you're in charge of the store. Uh, they're all games. You can't, you can't get a break. And so the most popular apps for like productivity or something like that are very popular, but 
never get a chance to crack the charts. Over and over again, every meeting with developers, what you hear is discovery, discovery, discovery. Like, please help us with discovery. The rest of the stuff we can deal with, we need more discovery. And so there are a number of things in the new design for that. This is one of those, which is separating the two. Uh, in addition, we have the most popular gaming platform in the world now, by like some, I don't know what order of magnitude. And so it's nice to say, let's create a section dedicated to games, because we love games and we want to be able to express that more and more and, and, and now having a place is going to give us the freedom to start being more and more gamer friendly and, and have a dialogue with gamers and have the ability for app developers not to feel buried. And, and the number one was charts, was, hey, I want to show up on the charts. I can't get discovered there because all the hot games are showing up. By separating them, the one question was, would people understand games and apps? They're all apps. Of course they will. Like, yeah. it's one of the really important tenets we always have is treat the customers as smart. Not stupid, they're smart, they'll understand it. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I really don't think anybody's confused about what a game is, right? I, I really don't, you know, but it's easy to think yourself in a circle and yes. think, well, it's technically an app and we don't, you know. Um, so what about the Mac App Store? Is the Mac App Store... So I will say this until you're all satisfied one day. Um, just like the discussion we had earlier about the Mac, which is we care about it, we believe in it, we're invested in it, and, it, you, know, and you need proof to, 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 to see the actions. Um, we care about the Mac App Store, we believe in it, it matters, and, and, and over time you'll see proof of that. Um, but first, with the, as you point out, this new design is an incredible, I think it's almost on the order of magnitude of, a, of, a, pro, of a, a challenge to change as doing the file system underneath everybody. Changing the app store completely mm -hmm. was a daring, bold, dare I say courageous um, action. <laughs> and so, I know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna regret that. Um, and, and, um, and that was a huge thing to ask of the team, the design team, the engineering team, everyone who works on it. And, and, and so doing it first for the iOS app store is absolutely the right thing to do. And then other things over time. Good to hear. Yep. <laughs> uh, last major topic on my list is the HomePod. Uh, and I, it, 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 I, there's certain language I'm allowed to use and how I can say it. I had the opportunity to listen to HomePod uh, <laughs> in a side-by-side in a -side demo with a Sonos Play 3 and an Amazon Echo playing the same songs in a reasonably simulated living room size type thing. Uh, and they sound great. They, they really, really do. And, well, it sounds great, and yeah. HomePod, a HomePod sounds great, but you close your eye and it's really kind of, that's why I pluralized it without thinking, it, it, you close your eyes and it, it's hard to think that that's coming from a single source. Like the multi-directional stuff that you describe about it is true. It is, it's, there's no doubt about it. It does not sound like sound coming from a point. It sounds like, I don't know how many, I don't have the best ears, but it doesn't sound like one speaker. Um, and, and it was like, you're, you know, there's these just rules about 
how you were allowed to talk about what the experience was. I wasn't allowed to touch it, um, not, no photos or video, um, but you were de definitely allowed to say which devices it was next to and how much better it sounded than that. <laughs> yes. And, and I thought in, in your, your introduction, I thought it was very fair where you said, here's a product and you had a picture of a Sonos and it's, this sounds good, but it's not smart. Here's uh, the Amazon Echo. It is smart and it doesn't sound good. And in the demo, it, it was like that. There were, I think we played about, we heard about six songs and I would say on f at least four out of the six, I thought that the HomePod sounded clearly better. There were two where I thought it was neck and neck with the, the Sonos. They both just sounded good. Uh, to me, and the poor Echo <laughs> really sounded bad in every comparison. Um, so what I really want to talk about is the, uh, the iPod speakers from 2005. <laughs> or I don't know what year it was, but it was around, it was... It was iPod Hi-Fi. iPod Hi-Fi. I, 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 I circle back to, uh, to that, though, because I feel like it's, it's a continuous thread. Like, the, in some ways, the introduction was the same. It's, we love music, and our customers are playing music, and we want to make your music sound good. And it seems like something that you guys have been after for a while. Yes, and sometimes <laughs> you get to try again to get it right, and that's okay. You know, um, different thing, you know, very different right. scenario, different time, different use case. Um, I will say there is one, uh, at least one gigantic difference, which is our audio engineering team now is remarkable. It's incredible. You've seen it in everything from what they've done with iPhone 7 and the stereo speakers and that. I think they did a phenomenal job. The, the four speakers in, in iPad Pro and that and on and on, they're, they're really talented and, and incredibly capable, the AirPods, and, uh, yeah. and, um, and so we have a depth of audio engineering talent far, far, far greater now, hardware and software, than we had in that day. Uh, and there were things that were good about the Hi-Fi, but I, I won't, I won't uh, go into it, because time will run up, but, right. but there were some really good things about it, but it doesn't matter. The team now is amazing, and I do think that the, the, the AirPods are an example of, you know, conventional wisdom when people saw it was, oh, these are going to not be popular, these don't make sense, blah, 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 and we said, no, they're really magical, and, and, and the team's done an incredible job. I believe, and time will tell, that it's the same case here, that just like AirPods, the HomePod is incredibly magical, it will change people's thinking of what uh, can be done in a, in, with a product in this category for music. And, and, and we'll see if we're right, but, but I think we, we are. Well, the, the difference I see is, is that today you guys are able to make things into computers. More and more of the things you make are computers. AirPods are computers. Yeah. They're, they're two computers. Right, two yeah. computers that communicate simultaneously without Absolutely. either one being the, the main one and the other one being the other one. Uh, Across a big bag of water, which is right. very hard. Uh, and, and that to me is the difference. Thank you. <laughs> but the HomePod is obviously a computing device, and it, the, the iPod Hi-Fi back in the day was really just a consumer electronics device. It was it, audio in, and, and you get sound out, and that's it. Whereas now, it, 
there's, it, it's a computing device and you can do all sorts of little things and you know, have people write software for it to, yeah. to make it work the way that it works. A, a world where more things are computers is pretty good for us. Well, that <laughs> seems to me like the world that you're, that's, that's your world, is more and more things are becoming computers. Yeah, and in, in, in fact, uh, you know, I mean, Phil, Phil pointed it out uh, when he was introducing the product, but uh, there's, there's actually, you know, I, iPhone silicon inside of uh, the speaker, and uh, to do the kind of signal processing that we have to do, um, but, but all the networking, all the Siri, um, the far field voice recognition, which I know, um, you know, I've tested, you haven't had the opportunity to test, but, um, is, is extraordinary. It's best in class. You, the thing can be blasting music mm. and you can talk across the room to it. And it, in a way that a human can understand, if you're sitting next to that speaker, you wouldn't understand it, uh, but the speaker can. And that's, uh, that's great acoustic design, but it's also, uh, a lot of powerful signal processing that we can do on, on the silicon there. And so it's, it's great when more and more products were able to take advantage of this, this great uh, audio engineering team, uh, but, but the great silicon we built as well. Is it safe? It's, yeah, that's what I, thought, I thought even the name alludes to it, that HomePod sort of alludes to that it's AirPod, AirPods are personal wireless listening you know, devices and the HomePod is the shared one, that it's sort of the speakers to the headphones of AirPod. Okay. <laughs> yes. I think AirPod, I've said, I'll say it to you now because you're here, but I, AirPods are my favorite Apple product in years. I, I, I'm blown away by how much I like it. I really am, and I, I see people here. It's funny, you come to WWDC and everybody has the message. It's like the one place where everybody has AirPods. Yeah. Um, the Apple campus, too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, my favorite story along those lines was uh, I had a meeting there. I forget why. I don't know if it was the antenna gate thing or what, but it was the time when the white iPod or iPhone 4 was delayed for a very long time. But at Apple, people had them. And it was like, whoa, that's weird. <laughs> you see all sorts of stuff there. And that's just the stuff people are walking around with. We got a test. Uh, I, that's pretty much the end of my list, and, and, and you guys have been very generous with your time. Is there anything else, though, that you guys wanted to talk about? Is there any, anything on, on your list that you wanted to say? There are a couple of things, but um, before I do, I don't want to miss the opportunity because the last two times, the two times we've been here, which have been wonderful, about two or three weeks after in a podcast, you say, you know, I meant to ask that, and I didn't. And, and then we got this cloud hangover. Like, it was a great, great, great podcast, but something was left unsaid. And, um, and don't want anything left unsaid. So if there's, it's, here's your, you're on the, the spot now. Um, and, and again, I used to say things I regret, but, but, but I, I, I want to at least make sure that there isn't something left that, that you want to ask, and, um, and it doesn't mean we'll answer. But, but, <laughs> but, but then you can't, in three weeks from now, All say, right. you know what, I meant to ask that, and I totally didn't. <laughs> and while you're thinking, I'll, I'll bring up something else, just cause to give you some time to think. And, and, but, um, I'm a masochist, so I know I'm going to regret this one. But um, I'll, I'll talk about, uh, I think one of the great things um, that's been going on, of course, is the work with Swift and Swift Playgrounds and education 
and there's some really great things that have been going on in the last few weeks. We, uh, you pointed it out in, in, in your podcast that, in fact, we put some stuff out last week because we knew there wouldn't be time to get them to the keynote this week, and we didn't want them to get lost in the shuffle. Uh, so uh, up, great updates to, to Swift and Swift Playgrounds, Swift Playgrounds supporting drones and, and robots, and so I think kids are going to love working with those, doing great work with Lego and, and other great companies. Um, and we just rolled out a program with community colleges so they can have a curriculum to help students uh, become developers. <laughs> We've also, as you know, over the last year or two, opened up education centers for SWIFT programming in, uh, in Brazil and in India and, and in, in Italy. And so this is an area, and, and a lot of credit to Tim, because he's really pushed that this is critically important. There's no sales number tied to it. There's no market share tied to it. It's just the world's better off if we can help everyone benefit from the opportunity to create software. And that's what we're doing. And so, and it's all because of the software engineering team, the developer tools team, the Swift team, that make it possible to then create these curriculums. And it's a, it's a great thing, and I think something the whole community should be proud of. Well said. All right, I found my card of uh, questions I've always been meaning to ask, and <laughs> never did. I have one more card. Awesome. Um, I want to ask you about something. That I, when I meet with you guys, you in particular, uh, but other people on, on your team, product marketing team, when you bring up leaks to the press, you get fired up. And it, you do. It, it angers you. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, I th it seems to me like a very little software leaked for this keynote. This was a keynote full of things that we had no idea what we were going to see coming in. And the stuff that did leak, though, uh, seems to me either, either in the reports where it leaks, they say that's where it came from, or it, uh, that must be where it came from, that it came from the supply chain, uh, hardware stuff, you know. Uh, do you, is that something that you feel like, is it just luck that you guys, that this keynote didn't really have as much stuff leak? Or is, it, it, is there a double down on secrecy, as Tim said a couple years ago? Yes, there's absolutely a double down on secrecy. There's a lot of work that's gone on. There are people and teams that work really hard at it across every organization and how we manage secrecy and, um, and with suppliers and partners. It's a really, really hard challenge, no question, and, and we may never be perfect at it, but the teens work hard at it. And, um, and it's really, there's a lots of reasons before, before we could go into it. It's a, it's a longer discussion. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's really great when you're a team who's worked so hard, you, a, a couple years of your life on something, and you get the opportunity to have Craig or me or someone else present it, and the whole world's hearing it for the first time they're hearing what you think about it and, and why we think it matters. And there's that excitement, enthusiasm, and your heart goes out to the team that's worked so hard on it because they got their moment for the love and energy they deserve, right? And so that's one of the many reasons that it matters. And, and so we had some of that. Right? There were many topics covered yesterday that weren't, weren't leaked, weren't written up, weren't with screenshots. And, and to me, that's the first thing I think about is I'm so so happy for those teams that they got their right. moment to go home to the kids and say, this is what I worked on. Now you can see, and it's fun. Yeah.
Yeah, that's exactly what seems, always seems to get fired up, is it's not the, that the surprise was ruined for the keynote that you're helping to put together, it's the, the, the people who, the teams, it's the people who made that product who had their hard work spoiled with a yes. crummy screenshot yeah. or something. They, they get, uh, yeah, they get really angry, uh, you know, when, when one of these happens. It's just a, a huge disservice to the amount of work they put into it when, when it does, and uh, so, so glad we had a... And, and, and not to be misunderstood, we get that there's, the reason this happens, and more with us than any other company, is the interest is so high. Right? And that's great. That's a good thing. Heaven forbid there's a day where nobody, there's leaks and nobody cares to read it, <laughs> right? And so we get that there's a passion out there and there's a voracious appetite to understand what's going on and to gain an insight. And there are sites that love Apple that post stuff just out of you know, a misplaced love of us, honestly. And, and that's, that's good. We can't ever be mad at that or upset about that. It's more the, 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 you know, the lost opportunity to make a lot of people really happy with the news. Yeah. That about does it. Uh, I thank you, gentlemen, for your time. I certainly thank all of you for yeah, coming. thank you. Uh, uh, I'll just run through. I'll thank MailChimp for the bar again. Uh, our Our sponsors for the event, Jamf, mobile device management with a total Apple focus on Apple products. Mac Stadium, totally professional hosting for Mac OS X server and distributed doing builds with Xcode and stuff which might be of interest to people at WWDC. And Setapp, a really cool subscription service for indie Mac apps. So my thanks to them. Uh, I would like to thank here today at the event, I would like to thank Caleb Sexton, the audio editor of the show. He's been here working for two days to make sure everything sounds as good as we can have it. Uh, and, and I really appreciate working with him. Caleb, thank you for everything you do for the show. Uh, Marco Arment is up there somewhere. Uh, I see him waving. And he knows how to live stream audio. So if there's, Marco, did it work? Thumbs he says up. thumbs up. So for everybody out there who's on the web listening to me tell you this right now, thanks to Marco Arment for that. And we're going to have video. Uh, it probably won't be up till tomorrow. Um, but Jake Schumacher, director of App, The Human Story, which screened just the other night, a fabulous movie, uh, which is coming out in final form uh, probably in about five or six years. Uh, but it's in really good shape. <laughs> but my thanks to Jake Schumacher. He's here shooting this somewhere. And his colleague, uh, Charles Davis. And then I heard somebody call him Charlie, and I said, well, I want to thank you. Are you, gonna, are you a Charlie or a Charles? And Jake told me his, his nickname is Clutch. So if your nickname is Clutch, I'm just going to call you Clutch Davis. Thanks for your help shooting the video. Uh, and last but not least, the staff here at the California Theater, the entire staff, back of the house, front of the house, everybody here is a total professional and are just really nice people. It, it's been great being here. So thank you, Phil, Craig, thank you. Thank you, John. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. Perfect.